Today we're going to be talking about becoming a shepherding people. So Paul last week talked about becoming an apostolic people. This is a complementary word. They're not in juxtaposition. They supplement. They complement one another. Why? Because it's biblical. It's the fivefold ministry. Ephesians 4. To some he gave as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or shepherds, and teachers. All right? And so an apostolic people are a shepherding people. A shepherding people are apostolic people. And we could do three more series on a teaching people and an evangelistic people and a prophesying people, a prophetic people, because we're all working up into maturity into the fullness of Christ. And so this morning, the focus is going to become, we're going to be looking at becoming a shepherding people. I might use the word shepherdly. I know it's not a word, but it just might come out, okay? The, the, correct, the correct term is shepherding people. But not everyone is called to some. He gives us shepherds, right? But when we're exposed to the, the ministry of shepherd, we should all become shepherding or shepherdly, okay? So that's the goal this morning. Maybe you are called to be a shepherd, a fivefold shepherd. Just don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? The Lord wants all of us to become more like him. He is the pattern. He is the, mod- the model example. And he identified himself as the good shepherd. Amen. Amen. So we want to become like Jesus. That means we got to become better shepherds. Amen. Like I said, they are not mutually exclusive. God is doing away with competition. Amen. Amongst the leadership in his church and amongst the people in general, there's need not be competition amongst the fivefold. There need not be competition in, you know, how many people go to your church or what's the budget and how much do you give to missions, all right? The Lord wants to do away with all that. It's okay that we can have an answer for it, but it's what's the heartbeat and motive in asking that question? What's the heartbeat in answering it as well? And like I said, it's, it's not just the competition mentality that needs to be done away with amongst leadership, but amongst the people as well. Amen. We feed the orphans and the widows that we've been given. We, are, uh, we want to be excellent in the ministries that the Lord is breathing on and the programs that he wants us to do, and we want them to be excellent in the things and the ministries and the widows and the orphans that they're supposed to tend to and feed, right? And it's really not a us versus them or a ours and theirs. It's his. Jesus said, I am building my church. We need to be faithful with what he has given us, whether it be one, two, or five talents. We don't need to look around and see what the other people are doing. We need to look at ourselves and say, God, I know that I know that I know that you asked me to do this, and so I'm going to get busy being faithful, knowing where I'm supposed to be, and being faithful to the upward call of God on my life. We need God, and we need each other. It's a part of his design. Man was not created to be alone. Pre-fall, it was not good for man to be alone. That's God's observation, not mine. Take it up with him. So how much more so after the fall do we need God and do we need each other? So for the introverted among us, and I'm talking to myself here because I'm slightly bent more towards the introverted side, and God's done a marvelous work in my heart and drawing me out and making me more of a people person, not to please them, but to please him. Praise God. But our growth curve for the more introverted might be a little bit steeper in becoming a shepherding people, okay? Because God wants to draw us out of that shell and place us in a body, in a community of believers that we would pour into others and that we would show up trying to participate and give and contribute and have something to offer and not just 
hide inside of our shell or, or expect to receive something because I'm just so used to me, me, me and hiding inside of my shell. All right, I've been there. This is not just an exhortation to be better sheep, but to also be better under shepherds. You don't have to have the title pastor or be in ministry or be on staff at a church in order to become a better shepherding people. Okay, I'd be saying the same thing whether I was on staff here or not. So God has given us an upgrade in what community looks like in the local church. His sheep are not numbers. His sheep are not just tithers. His sheep love and care for one another. They encourage one another. They identify gifts inside of one another and call them out and call them higher and encourage them as they're exercising their gifts. Okay, I didn't start out, I would say I'm still not a great public speaker, but I certainly wasn't as good as I am now. I started somewhere, and I had encouragement along the way. So we need to be encouraging one another while it's yet still today, right? His sheep, they see something and they say something. It's what does community look like? It's Bible studies. It's life group. It's ministering together. It's finding common cause and pursuing God together and teaming up and finding each other's passions. It's, it's holding one another accountable. It's reaching out to someone when you haven't seen them in a few weeks and saying, hey, how have, how have you been? Are you okay? I care about you. It's praying for one another. And not just flippantly like, hey, I'll see you later. I'm praying for you. But one of the best things I've implemented in, in just ministering in general is saying, I will pray for you. Can I pray for you right now? I'm serious. It's made a huge difference, not just in the people I've ministered to, hopefully, but in, in myself. Like it makes me more of a now person, being present where my feet are. Okay? It, it, and it takes, it could be 30 seconds. It doesn't have to be this long, eloquent, soliloquy, monologue, prayer. People just love that you care. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know any better way to express how I love or care for someone than taking the time to pray for them. Yeah. There's an upgrade in community, saints. Yeah. I, had a, I had a conversation earlier this week, and this guy made a, Kind of an interesting comment, and he probably didn't realize it was going to end up in a sermon. <clears throat> and uh, but it, I mean, it was kind of a passing comment, and I kind of laughed, and then I started thinking about it, and it actually kind of grieved me. Um, this person doesn't go here or anything like that, but obviously I'm trying to keep him anonymous. But he said, "Yeah, I got to get to church in the next couple weeks so we can sing Christmas carols." And I love Christmas carols. Don't get me wrong, I do. I love the Christmas season. I will rejoice if you guys showed up at my door and were caroling, okay? I'd join you. <laughs> but it just, it, something deep inside of me got stirred up. Like, Jesus, you paid for way more than a caroling, than a caroling church. Yeah. There's way more to community than we just show up and we sing three songs or four songs that we all know the lyrics to and then head back home and open up yeah. some gifts and hopefully we uh, have a better understanding of what Christmas is than that. Community is more than movies at the church. Yep. It's another thing I get stirred up with and grieved over. And I'm not, I don't want to bash, but it's just like, man, Jesus, you didn't pay for Hollywood inside of your church. You paid for community. You paid for every joint supplying. You paid for living stones being built up together that we may offer living sacrifices acceptable to you. We need each other. I mean, think of... Think of an army draft, all right? No one's excluded. 
everyone gets drafted and everyone has the role to play. Some people are the point of the spear of attack and others are making the spear, okay? And if you're hearing this and saying, well, not everyone got drafted, you know, the old and the feeble and the injured didn't go along with, they had a role to play too. Talk about movies at the church. Think of it, it's a wonderful life. He didn't get drafted. His brother goes, wins the Medal of Honor, right? He stays behind. He's the, he's the night watch. He's the patrol making sure the lights are out, that there won't be any air raids on them because the lights are on. He's organi organizing rubber drives and all that. So if you don't feel like you're qualified, guess what? You are. God has a role for you to play. Whether you're the point of the spear, you're making the spear. You have a role to play and never discount the priority and the importance of prayer. If we're not a church that's praying, we're straying. How do we stay on task? How do we stay pointed in our, in our general spear as a, as a corporate fellowship, as our Father's house? We got to be praying. There's my plug for Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. I'll see you there. God puts the lonely in families. And the life of the local fellowship looks like everyone's participation and being cared for and not going without. We just took up a benevolence offering. Okay, we, we're not just up here talking the talk. We're walking the walk. We like to practice what we preach, and so we like to be benevolent. We want to meet those needs, and that's what community, that's what shepherding looks like in the local fellowship. It looks like hospitality and not just come over and let's talk about how the cults are doing or what's going on in the news, but getting to know one another and asking pointed questions and building up relationship. And I know these things take time and it, and it might take some awkward conversation or, hey, I'm, I'm going to ask this question, kind of put myself out there because I know if I ask the question, that means you get to reciprocate it right back. But it's a part of building relationship and, and it's important and it's how it advances a little bit more quickly. Some of us don't have the level and depth of relationships that we want because we haven't gone there because we haven't put ourselves out there, because we haven't been vulnerable and we had, we're unwilling to ask the question that we don't want that turned around on ourselves. okay? But when you're in a safe place and you're in a, with other brothers and sisters in Christ, it should be okay to be able to open up. And I'm not saying you gotta just bleed all over in the very first time you have someone over for dinner, but you can start the conversation, okay? Seeing yourself as a shepherd is how you become a shepherding people. Yeah. And that may sound evident, it may sound obvious, but sometimes we don't take a step back and say, I see myself as a Christian. I see myself as a shepherd. I see myself as your brother or sister in Christ. All right? It'd be awkward if I went up to Austin as a financial advisor and we were having a conversation and he didn't, he didn't think himself a financial advisor. And he gave me just kind of wishy-washy advice, all right? He wouldn't last long in his job, all right? So how much more so? Do we need to be identifying ourselves with Christ and identifying ourselves as, as an, a shepherding people, as an apostolic people, as a prophetic people, as a teaching people, as evangelistic people? Even if that's not your strong suit, one of those five, how do you get stronger in the natural? You exercise, you gain strength, you go to the gym. So sometimes we're going to have to step out in faith and gain those spiritual muscles by, by exercising. This is a safe place for the hungry, which includes the safe place for the hungry to exercise their gifts as well. Okay, Paul went over some prophetic protocol a couple weeks ago. If you don't know what that is, come forward. We can talk. 
but this is a safe place for people to exercise their gifts that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, and I won't get into that because that's probably three other sermons, but this is a safe place for the hungry to grow and develop and to shepherd one another. 1 Peter 5, I believe, says, employ your gifts in serving one another. And he's speaking specifically to the spiritual gifts in serving one another. Okay, sometimes we get caught up in the gift is this great gift and, oh, I can, I'm prophesying. And you get caught up in the gift and you, you forget that it's for someone. You're serving another person, another body. It's not just this thing that happens. The Lord wants to use you to minister to others. Jesus, the chief shepherd. I know we hear that and we think of Psalm 23, a great and glorious psalm to be sure. And we can dive into it and I can show you how the Lord is both tender and tenacious in that psalm, but oftentimes it, it evokes imagery of sunshine and rainbows and, and green pastures. I'm not discounting it because it can certainly be those things. I, I remember sitting by my aunt's uh, deathbed with my mother, and, and she asked me to recite that psalm, and that's, that's what we ministered as we watched her pass from glory to glory. Okay, I'm not discounting the psalm, but I, I want to elevate Jesus as not just the tender shepherd, but also the tenacious shepherd, the aggressive shepherd. We hear John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my own know me. Again, a frequently quoted verse, a great verse. And to me, my mind goes to Jesus is reading me Bible stories. I'm getting acquainted with the sound of his voice, which is great. But he's also, keep reading, the aggressive shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. King David was a shepherd before he became king. And guess what he faced in the wilderness while he was shepherding the flock? The lion and the bear. That's right. All right? Shepherds have this a wide array of personality, of tender and tenacious. It takes both in order to shepherd well. Good. Jesus was really serious and a really aggressive shepherd. He cared about having a spotless bride. And he will not have an unequally yoked lover in his bride. His bride will be glorious, and his bride needs to make herself ready. Jesus has done and is doing his part in partnering with making us ready. Ephesians 5, 25 says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. The staff for comfort, the rod for discipline and correction. Some of us need some more rod in our lives. Jesus, the aggressive shepherd in Revelation 2 and 3, there's seven letters to the churches that go out and he's re he rebukes five of them. Because there's something inside of them that he wants pressed out before he would even betroth them. All right? Don't you want to know when you're doing something wrong? Me as a good father, I need to point out to my children, whom they're young. You're six, four, and one. I got it this time, honey. Oh, my. No, I didn't. He's still five. 
Oh, still another five or six months till he's six. Epic fail. Anyway, we need to discipline our children. All discipline for the moment does not seem joyful but sorrowful. But in the end, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so while the Lord disciplines us, we have to know that his motives are pure, his tactics are pure, his ways are pure. Although we may not understand them, his ways and his thoughts are higher and better than our ways and our thoughts. In the end, he is yielding inside of us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Jesus has our best interest in heart because he suffered for our best interest. If you will turn with me to 1 Peter First Peter 2, verse 21. First Peter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. It's an interesting note that Peter makes. Jesus, I, I talked about it earlier, he's our pattern, he's our model example. And Peter says primarily that his example was his suffering. Jesus suffered for us. On, and this past Tuesday morning prayer, we're, we're praying Philippians 3, that we would know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Listen, I don't know how to fully preach suffering in a, in a culture that you know, we lack an, an outside a physical suffering for the most part. Not that it, that can't happen or doesn't happen, but there's not a whole lot of persecution here. Although it's building, it's mounting, it's perhaps coming sooner than what we might think. We need a, a better theology on our suffering and what it means because it's conforming us into his image and the power of his resurrection. We can't experience resurrection power unless we experience the suffering of Jesus. Verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I'm reminded of a, of a dream I had. I'm not a big dreamer. I had this many years ago. I think even before I was filled with the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord. But I had this dream, and I was... I was right behind Jesus as he was carrying his cross up to Calvary, and I could experience and feel the emotions of what he was feeling. And what really stood out to me was the peace that he had while he was walking up there, that while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We have been called for this purpose, that he might die to sin, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's a twofold purpose, dying to sin and then living to righteousness, okay? It's not, it doesn't just stop at, all right, now I'm, I'm clean, I'm sober, I'm saved, I'm satisfied. No, that's, that's the no longer sinning portion, but God's grace and his shepherding abilities go well beyond no longer sinning, but also living to righteousness. 
Okay, God is like a magnet, all right? We're, and and, and a, he's, a, he's a purifier. And as we get closer to the magnet, the stronger the pull, okay? And so what once was the dross and the chaff on the outside, we clean up and we get closer to him, the stronger the pull. And then he reveals something else in us that needs to be refined that was probably a lesser issue. And we get rid of that and the stronger the pull and the stronger the pull, okay? The sheep that know the Lord's voice the best are the ones that are closest to the shepherd. You want to experience the pull of the Father the most? Get busy getting rid of that dross and that, those impurities in our lives. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He saw us straying and he called. Thank you, Lord. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed. They were harassed. And they were dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. That's Matthew 9.35. May we have a heart of compassion as we pass by people part of becoming a shepherding people having a heart of compassion all right i was at the uh, chris kindle market last night in in carmel it's a fun little place and christmas lights and they got the ice skating and whatever and it was way too warm so it was just a pool it wasn't nice it was kind of <laughs> kind of funny my niece was very upset about this because she wanted to ice skate not swim in a pool but I was, I, was think, I was preparing for this message. I was thinking about how I just went there and I kind of, I, I didn't show up with compassion. I didn't look upon the throngs of people and it was tightly packed. I didn't look upon the throngs of people as Jesus looked upon them. I was kind of there for myself, if, I, if I'm being honest. I was, I was taking inventory of what was going on and we were supporting our, our niece and our nephew, or our niece and our um, cousin as well, who had this choir thing that they did. It was awesome. Um, but I just, I walked away. I'm like, man, Lord, I didn't, I didn't, how am I going to preach this word? And I feel like a hypocrite right now, you know? And so I confess that to you guys. And, and I just want to say it's, it's part of becoming a shepherding people that no matter where we show up, that we have a heart full of compassion. When Jesus passed by the sinner and the prostitute and the tax collector and the paralytic and the blind, and the deaf, and whomever else, he looked upon them with compassion. Amen. So how do we pass by the bank teller, or the grocery store clerk, or the throngs of people at the market, or the homeless guy that, you know, we, we get on this side of the lane because we know he's, he's parked on the left, and we don't want to have to talk to him. Amen. Do we have a heart of compassion for these people? Lord, do you have something for me? Would, would you want me to be used as a minister of your gospel to this person, would you move me with compassion? Jesus, as the good shepherd, cares about the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. It was him who desired it. We can't get upset about where he placed us and what he's called us to do. Okay, we've got to be faithful with what he's asked us to do. 
just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. Verse 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we, dis- we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our abundant honor to that member which lacked. Sorry. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. I want you to take note of that last phrase, for one another. There's 30 that I tracked out in the New Testament. There's probably more, but there's 30 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rifle off to here soon. Okay, They're not going to be up on the, on the screens or whatever. If you want the references, I can get the list to you. All right, but I just want to hear... I just want to let you guys hear the commands of Scripture and how we need to be being the body towards one another and honoring one another and having the same care for one another because that's what community looks like. It's what being a shepherding people looks like. And so one other disclaimer. If we need help, if we don't know where to start with this list, look to the Lord, all right? He will teach you. If you didn't have it patterned or modeled for you because you didn't grow up in a Christian home or whatever the case might be, that's okay. God is faithful to teach you, all right? And you've been placed in a body of believers who can help as well. So, 31 and others. First one's in John, I won't give you the references to all these, but John 13, 34, love one another. Got to start there. Mutually depend on one another. Be devoted to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Have the same mind with one another. That's Romans 12, 16. I got a great quote that goes with this one. All right? And a brief interruption, okay? Have the same mind with one another. All right? I have, a, I have a hard time getting on the same page with myself, let alone the person next to me, let alone a whole church full of people. All right? But listen, it's not about agreement. It's about having relationship and alignment. Strong relationships don't need agreement. They need alignment. Agreement is having identical opinions. Alignment is having shared values. Agreement is taking the same path. Alignment is heading in the same direction. Closeness is a matter of commitment, not consensus. I wish I had the author of that quote for you. I couldn't track it down, but phenomenal quote, okay? Our values are up there on that wall in case you're curious, and they're on the website. I'm not going to expound on them here, But those are the shared values. Hopefully we can all agree on them. And that's how we go forward in consensus and sharpen that spear. Instruct one another. Accept one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Submit one to another. Forbear with one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Stir up one another to love and good deeds. Be hospitable to one another. Minister gifts to one another. Keep, ver- keep fervent in your love for one another. That word fervent is the same words that used to describe Jesus' prayer in just send me, just so you know. That's the kind of fervency 
and love that the Lord wants us to exercise towards one another. Be clothed in humility toward one another. Don't speak evil against one another. Don't grumble against one another. I'm going to have a I'm going to have a word on grumbling. The Lord takes it super seriously. Amen. I don't want to read this list and then you go, well, I could work on this one and that one and grumbling. I don't really do that or that's not a huge issue. It's a huge issue before the Lord. Amen. Okay? In Exodus 15, 16, 17, when the Israelites are walking out of Egypt and their miracle after miracle uh, is occurring and they start grumbling and complaining after the Lord delivers them through the Red Sea that, oh, we, he just came out here to to kill us by, by starving us to death. There was no water. The Lord supernaturally provides water. They were grumbling and complaining about the no water. Okay, and he provides it. Then they're grumbling and complaining about not having any food. Then the Lord provides manna. Okay, you think they would have figured it out by now. No, again, next chapter, I think it's Exodus 17. There's no water, again, and they start grumbling. They tested the heart of the Lord. Okay, so when we grumble, it's a big deal. Because it cost them 40 years in that generation's life saved Joshua into entering the promised land. You can thwart the promises of God by grumbling and complaining. All right, we're almost through. 28, 29, and 30 here. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Walk in the light, having fellowship with one another. Do you hear the relationship there? Okay? And it's not just... Jesus telling us to do these things. All right, we look at the life of Jesus. We look at the heart of the Father. We look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we see them doing these things to one another, okay, except for confessing their sins because they don't have any sins, and they didn't have to ask for forgiveness. But other than those two, they again, I'm ex- I was exhorting us, look to the Lord. If you don't know how to do these things, they are the pattern modern uh, model example for us. So I have three things. I do have one slide for us. Okay. Ben, I forgot the clicker, so be ready to help me out. Just a word of wisdom for when we start or continue doing these one another's and it's not reciprocated, okay? So you can put in your notes if you're taking notes. When you start or continue doing the one another's and it's not reciprocated. All right, one, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Who asked you to do these things? God did, not them, okay? You be faithful to your end of the bargain of the deal. You entered into covenant relationship with the Lord. He said, basically, don't worry about you. I got you. You just do what I ask. If you love me, you'll obey my commands, all right? Jeremiah in chapter 7, he was asked to share the word of the Lord and to the Israelites, but no one would listen to him. That was the commission of his ministry. It was never going to be reciprocated. They're not going to hear you, was what the Lord told him but he was still faithful. You can pour hours into someone and then they walk away from the faith. It wasn't a waste of time. I'm telling you, it's not a waste of time. Nothing is a waste if God asked you to do it. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. And so they may have walked away and discounted his love and threw away his love. You never know if they walk back because of the seeds that you planted before. Number two, don't give up. And being patient with one another, sometimes relationship takes time. There's no workaround to it, okay? It's just some things are going to take time. It may take a while for people to see your love or experience your love. But we can't go to pride. We can't go to orphan-hearted response of 
know, how many times am I going to invite someone over before someone invites me over? How many times am I going to give a prophetic word before I get mine? You know, we may not say these things, but those are the thoughts that we have to take captive. Maybe for a while we're the stronger one in the relationship. But as iron sharpens iron, maybe they become our peer or above us, and they're the one who's now pouring into us because we're in a low season of life. You just never know, but that's the beauty of being in in fellowship and in community and in a, a part of a shepherding people that we're loving and caring for one another, whether or not the scale is even and who's more advanced in their walk or not. Just be faithful to your walk. So don't give up. Don't do it. It's part of being a shepherd. Hirelings quit. Hirelings flee. At the end of the work day, hirelings seek their pay. All right? Shepherds don't have that luxury. Shepherds seek their reward before God on judgment day. They're not looking towards, towards the end of the day and, and, and clocking out. They don't get to call time out and time in like in basketball. All right? We don't get to clock out as Christians. Once a Christian, always a Christian. All right, shepherds fight, shepherds guard, shepherds are awake, shepherds are watchmen, shepherds protect, they shield, they defend the flock, they secure, they provide. Shepherding is not for the faint of heart. There are real wolves out there. The adversary of the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking one to devour. So don't give up, don't quit, don't let the enemy prey on your brothers and your sisters. Fight the good fight of faith. I think the devil, one of the primary attacks of hell is through discouragement he would love to discourage you right out of the will of god he really would he may he may realize he can't get you to abandon the faith but i'll just in in any way if he had a ministry it's to pervert the will of god in any way shape or form he wants to diminish the will if he can't thwart it i'll diminish it in whatever way shape or form that he can don't give him that inch don't give him that ground I know it may sound too harsh or abrasive to say someone who's feeling discouraged to be encouraged, but some of us need to hear that. Joshua heard it three times in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Take courage. All right? Discouragement is, in some ways, it's a spirit. It's an evil spirit that would want to leech itself onto your life and have you look down and be ashamed all of, all, every minute of every day. And it's not the portion for... Papa's sons and daughters. Thirdly, don't be offended. Roots of offense and bitterness are nasty and they run deep. And offended people is part of the end time deception. And listen, I'm, this, is, this is important. If you haven't heard a word that I've said up until now, please tune in. Okay? I'm hearing a lot of trusted voices in Christendom who are singing or singing ringing the alarm bells around deception and you can just add me to that list all right how many times are we warned in scripture do not be deceived and if you think you're above being deceived you're very ripe for actually being deceived okay and we need, need not be afraid of it all right we don't have to we don't have to cower in fear deception runs deep but the gospel runs deeper okay turn with me to Matthew 24 Verse 4, Matthew 24. 
And Jesus answered to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. For you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places where there will be famines and earthquakes. Verse 8. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all the nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and be offended with one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I want to focus on verse 10 for a, sec- for a second. At that time, many will fall away, fall away from the faith. It's talking about fellow believers falling away from the faith and will betray one another. And some translations say will be offended with one another and hate one another. How offended and deceived do you have to be to betray your brother to their persecutors? That's what Jesus is, war- is warning us about. And it's a betrayal unto death. It's not, hey, they're going to throw me in prison for 10 days and, you know, fine me or something like that. No, it's I'm being delivered into my captors and they're going to execute me. Okay, that's the end time deception. And it starts with offense. Many false prophets will rise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Say most people. I don't have percentages on that, but it's at least 51-49. Probably a lot greater. Most people's love will grow cold. Look around the world. You sense love rising, love getting warmer, love getting... No. It's cooling off. It's getting colder. There might be climate change and climate warming, but the, the climate of love is certainly not increasing in temperature. But there's warmth in community. There's warmth in being a shepherding people. But Jesus wants to warn us, beware, don't get offended. Don't get offended when you're exercising, doing the one another's and trying to be a shepherding people and it doesn't get reciprocated back to you lest you stumble, lest you fall, lest you become part of those who are deceived in the end. In Matthew 7, Jesus warns us in verse 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Know them by their fruits. They walked in prophecy. They walked in performing miracles. They cast out demons, but Jesus declared to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because they were doing it for themselves. We have to judge by the fruit. So how do we protect against being offended and deceived and betraying one another, becoming a shepherding people, loving, being in community, getting busy doing the 31 and others that I just rattled off? It's hard for your love to grow cold when, it, when your love is active, all right? Revelation 2, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus was rebuked because they left their first love, which that's open for interpretation for what that fully looked like. 
but the implication to me was that they left their first love of Jesus and perhaps they got too busy doing the ministry and doing all the things and not fixing their eyes on the Lord. And then out of that fixing and out of that identity, they ministered and they loved on others. We got to love the Lord our God first and primarily, and then out of that, we love others. Chapter 3 of Revelation, the church of Laodicea was rebuked for their lukewarmness. Their love had grown cold. I'm pointing these out because it wasn't just letters to the churches in in the first century. It got canonized and included in the Bible for a reason, to serve as a warning to us. That this is what the end times in some of the churches is going to look like, is that they became lukewarm or they had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead. Jesus wants to wake us up, wake his bride up, and press out any impurity so that he will come back. He won't come back until his bride is ready. we got to do our part in helping to make ourselves ready and becoming better sheep, becoming better shepherds, becoming more shepherdly. Faith without works is dead and so is love. That's how love grows cold. We have to be active in our love. So I just want to pray into that and, and land this ship. If, if you're willing, if you'll stand with me. God's ultimate act of love was giving his son. Amen. Right? John 3.16. What's an ultimate act of love we can present to the Lord as a sacrifice that would be pleasing before him? How can we get busy loving him and, and one another? Father, I ask that this word would go forth into our hearts and it would abide and it would dwell and it would result in actions, Lord, that we would get busy doing the one another's of the New Testament, Lord, that we would get busy being a shepherding people, that we would see ourselves as shepherds, that we would see ourselves in fellowship and in community and helping the least, the lost, the last, and the lonely, and that we would be willing to see if, if we need to humble ourselves in order to receive from others. Lord, we need you desperately. Come and make the wrong things right in our heart. Come and make the wrong things right that that are wrong in, in the corporate church at large, Lord. There's so much that ails us. But Jesus, you have the answer to it all. You have the answer to it all. And so, Lord, would you reveal to us those answers. Give us the endurance to ask, to seek, to knock as we seek you in prayer, as we seek you in meditation, as we seek you in the searching of scriptures, as we seek you as we go about our days. Lord, would you put inside of us a reminder, a remembrance to always be thinking and searching and seeking you out. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. We sung it earlier. You are worthy of our every endeavor, of every pursuit. You are worthy of a life laid down and doing the things that you have asked us to do. Lord, may we get busy doing them, not in a check-the-box sort of way, but in a, Lord, I love you sort of way. And therefore, I just want to do what you said. If you love me, you'll you'll obey my commands. Lord, we love you. We profess our love for you this morning and every morning. May that be the heartbeat of of our lives, that we would wake up in the morning and say, Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. Create in me a shepherd's heart, a Davidic heart, 
a man who is after your own heart. Jesus, we look to you as the chief shepherd, as the good shepherd, as one who came from the bosom of the Father, who had the heart of the Father. We look to you, Jesus, as our example to carry you in our hearts everywhere we go. Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, and we ask these things. Amen. 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 Amen.